Y'all doing all right? So glad to see you here today. I'm glad to be with you, honored to be with you today. Uh, I am not Joseph S. I'm not the pastor here. My name is Cliff Marshall. I work for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, uh, helping churches get planted all over the state, and I'm honored to be here with you today. I'm standing in for Joseph uh, because he had knee surgery on Friday. He's doing well. Um, talked with him yesterday and then texted this morning. He's, he's going to ice it and keep it elevated and all that kind of stuff, and, and he'll be back here next Sunday. But he had this knee surgery done because of his history as a Navy SEAL and climbing uh, all seven, the highest peaks on all seven continents. And uh, I just made all that up because that sounds better than he just got old and his knee wore out, which is the reality of what happened. So, but he will be back here with you next week. He's recovering. Uh, one of the things that I get to do with my um, job is I get to, to teach at different churches, usually new churches. I'll be doing that the next two weeks and then another Sunday in August. And one of the things I always do when I go and do that is I ask churches to pray for their pastors because it's a heavy load to be a pastor of a church. And those folks that have done it before understand that load. And if you, if you haven't done it, just trust me, it's a heavy load to be a pastor of a church. So I always encourage churches to pray for their pastor. So I want to do the same thing. I want to encourage you to pray for Joseph and Miriam every day, not just while he's recovering from knee surgery. And, uh, and, and especially, I want to encourage you to do that because uh, I've pastored this church before and y'all are hard to deal with. And so he really, he really needs uh, your prayers. Uh, I'm just half kidding. I'm kidding about that for most of y'all. Some of y'all, I'm dead serious about it. Um, but, uh, but do pray for him. Uh, pray for him and Miriam as God brings them to your mind. Uh, they do a great, he does such a great job here, and, uh, and it is a heavy load that he carries. So, so be sure that you, uh, you pray for him. If you've got a Bible with you today or if you've got your phone with you that has an app on it, go ahead and find the book of John, chapter 16. John is in the New Testament, which is the, the second part of the Bible. Book of John chapter 16, I'm going to start with verse 16 uh, of John 16 in just a minute. Uh, if, if, you, um, if you're new to the Bible or, or even if you're a, a seasoned veteran of reading the Bible, one of the things that you need to know is, is the first four books of the New Testament, uh, we call those the Gospels. And now Gospel is just a church word that means good news. That's, that's, it's a simple word, it just means good news. The reason we call those first four books of the New Testament, the good news, the Gospels, is because those books tell the story of Jesus. They talk about uh, him from birth all the way to his death on the cross and then through his resurrection, uh, which defeated death uh, that happened on the cross. And, and it talks about the, the teachings of Jesus, his healings, it tells his life story, talks about his followers, all those kinds of things. And so we call those four books the good news, the gospel. It's, it's the songs that we just sang about. That's, that's what we sang about just a while ago. Death was arrested. Talks about how death was defeated on the cross. Uh, the, the powerful name of Jesus. You have no rival. You have no equal. It's all pointing to the fact that the, the culmination of everything that is taught in the Bible happens in those four books in the New Testament. That's what it was all leading us to. The Old Testament was leading us to that place. And everything that happens after those four books is a response to what Jesus did through the cross and the resurrection. So that's where we are today. We're in the book of John, uh, starting uh, in chapter 16, verse 16. Now, one of the things that you'll notice 
if you read the Gospels, and like if you were to read the Gospel of John and start at, at chapter 1 and read all the way to where we are now in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, where I'm going to teach from today, you will notice that one of the things Jesus does is he does a lot of teaching, and in his early days of teaching, when he was further away from the, the, the cross, uh, he would teach a lot in parables. So he would tell stories, and, and the, the listener would kind of have to interpret the meaning of those. So he might tell a story about a go, guy going out and planting a bunch of seed, and he would say some of the seed fell in the weeds, some of it fell in the rocky ground, some of it fell in good soil. And he would tell these stories, and, and you'd have to interpret what that meant. And sometimes his, his disciples would even ask him, what did you mean by that? And he would give an explanation. Or he might tell a story about a, a dad that had two sons and, and one son squandered the money and the other son was faithful at home and then was jealous of the, of the son that squandered. He, he tells these stories and sometimes you have to interpret those. But as you get closer to the cross, as you get closer to his death on the cross, like we are in this chapter of John 16, his teaching becomes very direct. And he begins to say things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. It's pretty, pretty cut and dried, pretty black and white. And then he also begins to have a lot of talk about leaving and going somewhere and then coming back and then going again. And that's what we're going to read about today. It's one of these passages where he's telling his followers about him leaving and what that is going to mean for them. So look with me at John 16, 16 through 24. Follow along while I read this. This is the words of Jesus. A little while, and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he's telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They said, what is this he is saying a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. So let me take a quick time out before I read the rest of the passage. So when Jesus says, a little while and you will not see me, and then a little while and you will see me, he's telling them what is about to happen with the cross and the resurrection. So he's saying to them, a little while, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified on a cross, and then I'm going to be put in a tomb. You will not see me. You will literally not see me. My physical presence will be gone from you. So he's saying, in a little while you will not see me. But then he says, but then in a little while you will see me. So he's telling them, I, you, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be put in, a, put in a tomb. You won't see me, but then I am going to rise again. There will be a resurrection, and you will see me again. So he's, he's giving them an idea of what is about to happen. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again. That's what you can expect. And this was not the first time he was teaching them this. He was beginning to give them clues and hints about this along the way, and, and the disciples just didn't always get it. They didn't always understand what he was talking about. Now, look back at verse 19. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said a little while, and you will not see me again a little while, and you will see me? Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. 
And that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that, that we know that is uh, the direct message that you have for us, that you want us to live by, you want us to learn it. And so I pray this morning that you would be lifted up, that it would be all about who you are, and, uh, and that that would be our main purpose today, would be understanding who you are and how you want us to live. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the summer of 1986, I was getting ready to be a senior in high school. Yes, I'm kind of old. And, uh, and we got on a church bus in the parking lot of Northside Baptist Church in West Columbia to go to camp in East Tennessee. Now, our teenagers are going to do this tomorrow. They're going to get on vehicles, and they're going to go to Anderson uh, for camp. And so we're going to pray for them this week as they're doing that. So I was about to be a senior. I was uh, 17 years old, uh, getting ready to, to go to camp and just all excited. So we loaded up on this bus, and we took off to go to East Tennessee. And the guy who was driving our bus uh, was a uh, very confident individual. Um, he was a guy who uh, knew everything you knew and more, and he would let you know that. And he was a guy that, um, uh, he worked, I, I, this probably doesn't have anything to do with who he was, so if you work for UPS, don't be offended at this. But he worked for UPS, and he was all the time talking about how that was the most important thing that was going on in the country at the time, was UPS. And I, I guess now he's really excited with all the Amazon stuff that he's probably delivering if he still works for them. But we took off to go to East Tennessee in this church bus. And remember, this is an old church bus, no seat belts. It had the little you know, tabs that you lowered the windows down because there was no air conditioning on the bus. It was just a beautiful time to be alive in the United States of America. And, uh, and also keep in mind, this, there was no Google Maps there was no, you know, none of that kind of stuff. Now, you did have the big fold-out maps that you could open up and it would cover up the entire windshield so that you could try to see where you're going. We had that. But our driver did not have one of those, probably because he didn't think he needed one. Again, he was a very confident individual. So we took off to go to East Tennessee. At some point along the journey, I don't know where it happened, I don't know what exactly happened, but here's what I know. We stopped to do something, get gas, you know, bathroom break. I don't know what it was. And when he got back on the road, he got back and started going the direction we had been coming from. And he drove for several miles, I don't know, maybe 100 miles. I have no idea. I was, you know, getting ready to be a senior in high school. I was just sitting in the bus having fun. I didn't even know anything was going on. But we went a long, long way in the wrong direction. And what should have taken us four hours ended up taking eight hours to get to East Tennessee from West Columbia, South Carolina. So you can understand that there was a lot of murmuring going on in the bus. People were upset, all that kind of stuff. But here was the situation. We got in that situation because we had a driver who went for a long time. He went confidently and quickly in the wrong direction, 180 degrees confidently in the wrong direction. When, when I read the, the scripture, when I read the gospels and I read the stories about the followers of Jesus and when you get into the book of Acts and you, and you read the, the stories about the follower of Jesus, sometimes when I read those, it's easy for me to think, wow, things were so different back then. What, what do I really have in common with the early followers of Jesus? 
I mean, they spoke a different language. They lived in a different country. It was 2,000 years ago. The rituals were different. Uh, just the economy was different. Everything was so foreign to the way we live today in 2019 in the United States of America. But one of the things that I think is very, very similar to the situation those guys were in then and we're in today is this, that we live in a culture that is moving confidently in the wrong direction. We live in a culture that is moving confidently in the wrong direction. Now, when Jesus is teaching them here and he's teaching his followers and he's trying to prepare them for what's about to happen and and look at verse 19 he says Jesus knew they wanted to ask him and so he said to them are you asking one another about what I said a little while and you will not see me again a little while and you will see me now remember what he was talking about when he said a little while and you you will not see me he was talking about his upcoming death his upcoming crucifixion where he was going to be wrongfully accused and convicted of a crime, and he was going to be executed publicly. That's what he was talking to them about. But look in verse 20, what he says to them. He, he begins to draw a contrast between the way his followers are going to react to his death and the way the culture in general was going to react to his death. And he says this, Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn. Now understand these words here when he says you will weep and mourn, what kind of weeping and mourning we're talking about. We're not talking about like crying at a Pixar movie dad level of of grief. And you dads know what I'm talking about. You know, the first five minutes of up, you're sitting there with your kid and you're trying not to let them know that you're crying because you want to be tough. But you are crying because it's a beautiful story that they put together here on the screen for you, right? And so you're trying, but you can kind of cover that up and you can kind of wipe those away and nobody knows it. We're not talking about that level of grief. What he says here, he says, you will weep and mourn. He's talking about gut level, gut wrenching grief that you can't cover up and you don't want to cover up because it's going to be like your entire world has been destroyed and that's what he's telling them he said get ready because I'm about to suffer a death and when that happens you're going to be emotionally wiped out by it you will weep and mourn because you've given up everything to follow me for the last three years and then I'm going to die publicly in front of you and it's going to be terrible for you but then look at what he says at the end of verse 20 truly I tell you you will weep and mourn but the world will rejoice. The thing that's going to make this grief and this difficulty so much worse for his followers is while they're in the middle of the most emotional and difficult thing they've ever been through in their lives, the world around them is going to be dancing in the streets and celebrating because they feel like they have done the most important thing. They have won some type of victory that's going to make the world a better place by eliminating Jesus from the face of the earth. Do you see the contrast we're talking about here? Jesus is saying to them, you live in a culture that is confident that they are correct. You live in a culture that is confident that they think if they get rid of me, they've done the best thing, and you are going to suffer emotionally. You're going to suffer because of this. You're going to weep and mourn because of this contrast, this gap that you are going to be living in. Now, I would say to you today that I believe as we move further into the 2020s of living in this world that we live in, 
We are going to begin to continue. We're going to continue to see. We've already began to see it. We're going to continue to see that the culture that we live in is going to be confidently moving in the wrong direction. It's going to be confidently moving away from the teachings of Jesus, away from understanding that what is taught in the Bible is true and is important and should be lived by. And if we're going to be followers of him, we are going to live in a world where the gap between what Jesus has taught and what culture around us tells us, that gap is getting wider and wider. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples there. I think we have so much in common with the early disciples because he was telling them, you've lived in this world where you understand you've made some sacrifices. It's been hard to follow me, but get ready because it's about to get more difficult because this gap is going to get wider because we live in a culture that is confidently moving in the wrong direction. Then look at, look at what he continues to say, though, at the second half of verse 20, because that's a hard teaching, right? That's a hard thing to hear. We, you know, it's like, okay, Cliff, I'm glad you're here today to make us feel bad. I want Joseph back next week. Maybe he'll say something to make us feel good. But listen, here, there's the, the, as this story continues, you'll see that Jesus then begins to give them some hope in the middle of this. Verse 20, second half, says this, You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. See, the struggle of living in a culture that is moving in the wrong direction is temporary. It's a struggle to live in a culture this move in the wrong direction, but that struggle is temporary. It's not going to last forever. I, I love that Jesus uses the analogy here of, of childbirth, and I'm looking around the room, and I can tell those of you that really can resonate with this, 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 uh, this analogy because you've had babies. And then I look at the others that look like me, and I know you're like, all right, I know it's tough, but I have no idea how tough it is. You know why God let women have babies and not men, right? He knew that the first man that had a baby, he'd be like, I ain't doing that again. And he would tell all his buddies, and then the like, human race would have died out after one generation. So he knew he had to let women do it because they're tougher than we are when it comes to that kind of stuff. And so, so but, but here's the thing. Jesus is saying to them, listen, ladies, you know this, and you've told us about this. Having a, having a baby is difficult. It's painful. The, the whole process of it is, is, is not fun. And, but the, the reality of it is it doesn't last forever, and at the end of it, there's this reward where there's this child, and that makes it all worth it. And so Jesus is saying to them, the, 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 the world you live in now, it's hard to live in this world. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus and live in the middle of a culture that's moving confidently in the wrong direction. But he says... It's not going to last forever. I've heard stories of women in labor for 24 hours. I've heard stories of women in labor for 30 hours. I've never heard a story of a woman who was in labor for 35 years. I just haven't heard that. And some of you are like, you don't know my kids. I, I'm, I, it's been labor the whole time raising that, you know, that idiot that I got for a son or a daughter or whatever. I understand that. But, but, that, but labor doesn't last forever. The, it's temporary. And there's a reward at the end. And Jesus is telling his followers, there is going to be a joy that comes at the end of this difficulty if you will stay faithful. That, that the, 
the struggle of living in a culture that's moving confidently in the wrong direction does not last forever. Verse 22, he says, So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. We live in the middle of this tense, difficult time, but it's not going to last forever. There's a promise of what he is going to deliver us from. It's like if I had, uh, if I told you today, I've got $100,000 that I'll give you today. You'd be like, sign me up. But then if I said, but wait a minute, I can either give you $100,000 today or I can give you $100 million in 10 years. Well, if you were smart, you'd wait on the $100 million. But you're probably thinking, but here's the deal, Cliff. I don't know if I can trust you. And I don't know if you've really got $100 million to give me, which would be wise on your part. Because I don't. But, but here's what Jesus is saying to his followers. He said, you can live like everybody else right now if you want to. Be more comfortable. That kind of thing. Or you can follow me. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a struggle. You're going to feel like you're a weirdo. You're going to feel like you're the only one that, that believes what you believe. But there is a promise that's going to happen at the end of that where it's going to be joy that no one can ever take away from you. And here's what we know about him. He, he can fulfill the promise. He can be trusted that it's going to happen. You know, one of the things that is, for me, that is, is a struggle to live in the world we live in today is it feels like things change so rapidly. And, and where... Uh, something that it felt like there was agreement on five years ago or, or three years ago or even 18 months ago, now it's like there's no agreement on anything and, and culture is moving rapidly away from what we thought we all agreed on at one point about the way we should live our lives and, and how we should act. And it's hard to live in that world because we think if this change has happened today, what's the change that's going to come two or three years from now? And Jesus says, I understand. I understand what that is. But I'm telling you, if you'll endure this, you're going to get to a time where there will be no more change. There will just be me. And there will be the joy that I give you. And it lasts forever and no one can take it away. That's the promise that he's giving us. Now, to me, if the story ended right here, if that's all Jesus said, I think that's a good deal, right? If he said, if his deal was, okay, times are tough now, but... Hang on, be faithful, they're going to be great later on. I think that's, that's good enough. But we serve such a good God who loves us so much, and it always feels like Jesus always goes one step beyond what maybe he should have done, and, and he always seems to go one step further than what we expected. He then says this in verse 23 and 24. In that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. It's tough to live in a culture that's moving confidently in the wrong direction, but that is not going to last forever. It's temporary. We've got an eternal joy waiting for us. But guess what? Because of his provision, we can have joy now. Because of his provision, we can have joy now. 
So it's not like we're just holding on and thinking, well, God, I know one day I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a follower of you and, and I can just make it. If I can just hold on for dear life by the, by the skin of my teeth, I'm, I'm going to make it. But Jesus says, you don't have to live like that. You can live victoriously now. You can have joy now because of his provision, because of what he gives you, because he says, if you need anything, you ask in my name and I will provide it. That's how good of a God we serve. That he's not just expecting us to hang on and barely make it, but he wants to provide for us now. Um, one of the things uh, that I learned about my wife early into our marriage, so we, we left, uh, we got married June 8th of 19, 1991, moved to New Orleans January 1st of 1992, so it was like we'd been married six months and we moved to Mars, and uh, just the two of us together, and so, so we were really just really kind of getting to know each other, you know how it is in those first days of marriage, and you think you know somebody because you married, dated them a while, and you find out, oh, it's totally different when you live in the same tiny uh, seminary apartment and all that kind of stuff, but one of the things I learned about her early on was we had, uh, we had made some friends that lived there on campus at the seminary with us, and, and one day, this lady calls my wife last minute. It's like Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock, and she's kind of in a tizzy and freaking out. And she said, I've got friends coming over tonight for dinner, and, and I, I was supposed to cook them a dessert, and I totally forgot. Can you bake a cake for me right now? And I'm thinking, here I'm thinking, I'm glad she didn't call me, one, because I can't bake a cake. But two, I'm thinking I'd be like, Sounds like you should have planned better. That's not my problem, right? That's, that would have been more my style. Sherry, it like made her day that this woman trusted her enough that their friendship was strong enough that she would, she can call me. She knows that, that we're the, that close of friends that I can make her. And so, man, it was like this great joy in our little tiny kitchen she's in there making a cake and then hauled it down the street to her and gave it to her and it was it was the highlight of sherry's week because this woman asked her for something asked her for help it was like it had put a seal on this friendship and it made it stronger than it was before i want to tell you something that when jesus says to us ask for anything in my name and you will receive it he doesn't say that to us and then sits back and gets annoyed when we ask him or think, well, you should have planned better because if you'd have planned, you wouldn't have to be asking me for what you're asking me for right now. That's not the way he operates. See, when you ask him for something, it is your way of saying to him, I trust you. I trust you and I trust in this relationship that you have begun with me so much that I know that I can come to you. I know that I can come to you if it's last minute or if it's planning way down the road. I know that I can come to you. And, and when you do that, it, it's like it puts a seal on your relationship with him. Now, that seal is on your side, not on his. You don't understand this very clearly. You asking God for something is not, you know, when you ask Jesus for something, it's not like he's saying, wow, I had no idea that they loved me that much. He knows. He knows. There's nothing you can do to impress him. He already knows. But what it does for you is, is it helps you to understand, this is a God that can be trusted. I can go to him. And it puts that seal on it for you. See, we live in a difficult time. 
the disciples lived in a difficult time. There's a promise waiting for us, but you can have joy now by asking him to provide what you need, by asking him for help. If you need wisdom, you ask him for wisdom. If you need patience, you ask him for patience. If you need provision, you ask him for provision. You ask him for those things, and it says that if you ask in his name, and now that's an important part. That means following his plan, his will for your life. He will provide those things for you. You can have joy now. Uh, recently, I was in a, uh, in a city that's not far from here. It's a place that I go, not all the time, but I'm probably there maybe anywhere from two to five times a year, just different, doing different things. And uh, they speak the same language we do there in this city. It's not far. They drive cars. They, they look like we do. They wear clothes, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty normal. You think it's kind of normal place. But every time I go there, I'm amazed at how out of place I feel. When I'm there, I'm just looking around and I'm thinking, okay, I know all these people are like Americans. I know they're not only just Americans, they, they're in the South like I am. You know, it's kind of this, this little community that we live in that's different than the rest of America. I understand all that kind of stuff, but I just, I'm not home here. In fact, I feel like an alien when I'm here. Maybe you have some places you go like that. I want to tell you something that I think as we continue to live by following the teachings of Jesus, we are going to more and more feel like aliens right here where we live. We're going to begin to feel more and more like no one else around us is like us. And that's okay. In fact, I think that's kind of the way it's going to have to be. Because we live in the midst of a culture that is confidently moving in the wrong direction. And if you're going to stay true to the teachings of Jesus and really follow him the way he's called us to follow him, there's no way that you can do that and feel comfortable with everything that's going on around you. But that's all right. There's a, a verse in Ecclesiastes that says this, He has made everything appropriate in, his, in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. God has put you as a follower of him. He has put eternity in your hearts. Here's what that means. He is preparing you to live somewhere other than here. He's preparing you for an eternal home. You were created for that eternal home. You were created for an eternal home. You weren't created to live here on earth and stay here forever and be completely comfortable here. And the longer you follow Jesus, the more you're going to feel uncomfortable. The, the longer you follow Jesus, the more you're going to feel like an alien right here in the culture where you grew up and, or where you moved to or where you've lived for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. You're going to feel more and more like an alien here, and that's okay. Because you were created, God has put eternity in your heart. You were created to live somewhere else. You were created to spend eternity with him where your joy will never die. It will never run out. Verse 16 of John 16, I'll read it to you again. It says, a little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Life here seems like it's all there is. It seems like this is the most important thing, what's going on here. And if I can get that promotion, if I can buy that house, if I can raise my kids, get them into college, if I can pay off that student debt, whatever it is you got going on, 
that feels like that's the most important thing that's ever going to happen. It's just a little while. It's a little while. Because there's an eternity waiting for those who follow him. He's promised it. So as you live day to day in the midst of a culture that's moving confidently in the wrong direction, take heart. Remember you can have joy now. You ask him for help of how do you navigate living in this culture and you wait for the eternity that he's promised. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the promise you've made us. Thank you that you will not leave us alone, but that as we live in the midst of a culture that seems to be crazy, where things are every day changing rapidly, we know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we know that you love us and have called us to be yours. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.